Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Brother, and good evening, young people. No young people here tonight. Well, well, well. We'll do that one more time. I saw Brother Keck leaning forward. He wanted to answer that one, all right? Good evening, young people. Good to see you, and good to see everybody here. A number of churches are represented, and if you are a visitor, you're a very, very special guest. Now, very quickly before I start tonight, if you have a handout and you need something to write with, raise your hand. My wife has some extra ink pens. You say, I have the handout, but I don't have something to write with. Just raise your hand very quickly. Now, if you say, I don't have the handout, you know, we gave all the copies out, all right? We gave all the copies out, and it was first come, first serve. And so if you didn't get a copy, go ahead and see if the person next to you is going to use theirs, and if they're not, grab it, all right? But if they are and you don't have one, you just enjoy the message because I pray with all my heart it will speak to your heart as well. First Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. Now, if you don't have a Bible, find somebody who does and sit next to them very quickly, all right? Just be sure that you are tuned in to the Word of God. Here's why. You really don't want my opinion tonight. Amen. You know, my opinion dies with me. Your opinion dies with you, but God's opinion lasts forever. And you want to know your Creator's opinion and your, His mind, you're going to need the Word of God to do that. And so I want you to be tuned into the Bible. It is the Word of God. It's been uh, not only inspired, but preserved for us today. Notice in 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1, 1 Samuel 16 Verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethamite, for I provided me a king among his sons. Notice verse 4. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. Verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And notice verse 7. The Lord's interesting response to this assessment. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Notice the reason for refusal. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass for Samuel. He said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shaman to pass by. He said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? He said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. 
And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Look at verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all the beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God is finished with King Saul. And he's instructing Samuel to anoint the next king to lead the nation of Israel. I want to remind you, those of you that know this story and you're familiar with this story, this is not a story about talent. This is not a story about intelligence, abilities, or even kingdom timing. No, the story you and I read together tonight is this. It is a story all about the heart. You see, the question begging to be answered is this. Why was David, why was he the one, above all of his other brothers, why was he the one that God picked to be the next king of Israel? And the answer is this. Because of his heart. Got a little message for you tonight. Young people, middle-aged, senior saints, it's all relevant for all of us. The message is simply this. The heart of the matter is this. It is a matter. Back row. It is a matter of your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, tonight that you are a king that not only holds kings' hearts, but, Father, you see them as well. And Lord, as we bow our hearts before you tonight, I pray you would help us to set aside the busy thoughts of the day, the cares and the concerns. Father, I pray tonight that we would sit at your feet and be challenged by your Holy Spirit through the preaching of your word to consider what lies within us. Lord, I pray for the one among us who has a dirty heart tonight. I pray you would cleanse that heart. They'd be wise enough to give it to you. I pray for the one among us who has a dark heart that's not even saved. It's never been made alive. It's yet dead in trespasses and sins. Lord, I pray tonight before the night is over, you would quicken and give life to that dead heart. Lord, I pray for the one among us who may be bitter, Father. I pray you give him a sweetheart. Lord, I pray tonight that the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, they would be acceptable in your sight. For we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The heart of the matter is this. It is a matter of your heart. You know, when I start a message like this, it would probably do us very well to define the heart. When the Bible speaks of your heart, what exactly is it talking about? When the Bible speaks of your heart, it's not talking about the organ inside of you right now that's pumping blood. When the Bible speaks of your heart, it's not talking about that little Valentine cutout shape around the middle of February you put on a card and give to a loved one. But when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about something uniquely different. Noah Webster in his 1828 dictionary, along with other scholars and theologians, he defines your heart as follows. He says your heart is the seat of your passions and your affections. It's your innermost being. It's the source of all your desires. It's the rudder inside of you right now that turns you anywhere it wants you to go and makes you do whatever it wants you to do. And somebody wisely said, your heart, that's who you really are. Mm -hmm. 
when no one else is watching. Do you know of everything about you tonight, how God created you and designed you and put you together? It's your heart that he cherishes the most. It's your heart that he sees and knows even better than you do. And it's your heart that he prizes and wants. And you would say, why? Why is my heart so important to God? Number one, if you have the notes there, number one, the very first reason why your heart is so important to your creator is this. Because sin is a matter of your heart. Write that down. Because sin, which is disobedience to God, the breaking of His commandments and breaking conscience with God, sin, that thing that makes you blush, those thoughts that make you ashamed, those words you speak that are wicked, sin is a matter of your heart. Sin originates... In the heart. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17 and notice your heart and my heart is described by God in its natural condition, untouched by His power, untouched by His grace. Here's what the default setting of your heart and my heart is in Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9. Listen to what the Bible says. The Word of God says about what's inside of you in its natural condition. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9. He says this, the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. That would be your heart. That would also be my heart. That would be the source of all your passions and the source of all my passions. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the answer is given, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. Notice when God describes your innermost being, He describes it in less than glowing terms. He said inside of you in its natural condition is something that's not good, it's bad. It's deceitful and it's desperately wicked. Now when I hear those words, I, I think of a certain type of person. I don't know who comes to your mind's eye, but... I meet them all the time. I live in a motorhome full-time on the road, so I'm crisscrossing America, 35 states every year. And invariably, I run into this individual, the homeless guy on the corner, going ahead and begging me for some money. Now, here's the thing. I never give him money because I know what that's probably going to go to, but I don't ignore him either because Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. But I rem- I'll tell you, I've met the best of them, and I remember one day, Central Florida, there was a knock at the door of my motorhome. I was out in the countryside, and outside of my motorhome stood a homeless guy. He had a bicycle, every worldly item he possessed on the bicycle, about 35, maybe 40 years old. And he was hitting me up for some money, and I said, you know, I don't do that. I said, but let me ask you a question. Have you had breakfast today? He said, no, sir. I said, you got anywhere to go for lunch? He said, I don't have anything to do. I have no money to do that. I said, well, let's take care of that. So I grabbed the church van, put his gear in, put his bicycle in, put him in. And for the next three and a half hours, we were joined at the hip. I went ahead and took him out and fed him. I shared with him the wonderful news that Jesus saves and told him how he could be saved from all of his sin and have heaven as his home when he died. I went ahead and went to Walmart, bought him some clothing items that he needed and just loved on him and cared about him. I had the time, so I invested it. 
Now our time was drawn to a close. He found a halfway house that was willing to put him up for three nights for free, but he had to have a printed background investigation from the local sheriff's department in possession. So we found the sheriff's department, came into the sheriff's department. He gave his social security number to him. And while I was waiting for the handoff, he went outside to burn one, and I waited at dispatch for the transaction to take place. And all of a sudden, about five minutes later, the little lady behind the glass window there, she reached forward and she tapped on the window and, and, and leaned into her little microphone. She said, excuse me, sir. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, could you come inside, please? And she went to the side and opened the little side door of the dispatch desk and invited me to come in. I remember thinking, man, they got the wrong guy. I'm the guy supposed to be leaving. He's the guy supposed to be staying. You know, they, they mixed it up. I could be in trouble. And I remember I walked in there. She slammed that door shut. She looked real suspicious. She said, how long have you known this guy? Why? Well, I, I said, not that long, about Three and a half hours, I, I really didn't pick him up. He kind of picked me up. Why? She said, do you know he's wanted in five states? That wasn't the story he told me. He told me an entirely different story. He, he never told me he was wanted in five states. There was, there was a, a, an arrest warrant out there for him. No, he never said that. No, he told me something completely different that sounded really good and you wanted to just pity him and all that. You see, that isn't what unnerved me at that moment. What unnerved me at that moment was how he told me his story. He looked me in the eye. He never flinched. He never acted like he was telling a lie. He boldly stared me in the eye and told me a completely different story that was false. You see, in his desperation, he had learned to become incredibly deceitful. He could tell a lie and believe his own lie, and he could tell it convincingly. Let me tell you something about what's inside you right now. Your heart, deceitful, desperate. Let me tell you something about your heart. It'll lie to you about who you really are. It will not tell you the truth about who you are. Your heart will tell you you're okay with God when you're not. Your heart will tell you, man, you're just a, you're just a, a good person when you're not. Your heart can tell you you're saved when you're lost. You're lost when you're saved. You're moral when you're immoral. You're clean when you're dirty. Your heart will lie to you. You cannot trust God your heart it's deceitful it will lie to you about your condition Jiminy Cricket didn't have it right let your conscience be your guide a conscience can be seared through a deceitful desperate heart and it can buy into a lie and this deceitful, desperate thing inside of you that can lie to you convincingly, it's the source of sin in your life. Look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, the New Testament. We're looking at this thought tonight that of all the different pieces of how God created you, it's your heart that He sees. It's your heart that He knows even better than you do. And it's your heart that He prizes and it's very important to him, number one, because sin is a matter of your heart. Look at Mark chapter 7, Matthew, then Mark. 
Mark chapter 7, Jesus Christ is speaking about your heart here in verse number 21. Listen to what he says. Mark 7, verse 21, he says, For from within, look up for just a moment. Whatever Jesus is talking about, he's talking about something inside of you, not something outside of you, all right? So from within, now he identifies it, out of the heart of men. That men word is a word that literally means mankind, men and women, boys and girls. Out of the heart of men and women, boys and girls, proceed the following evil thoughts, adulteries. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you committed adultery with her where? Already in your heart. You don't have to do the, do the sin. You think it and you've done it. That's when God counts sin right there, your thought life. Look at this. He says, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, getting somebody to lust after you, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Look at this. All these evil things come from within and defile that person, that man. You notice Jesus Christ here describes where sin originates. And sin begins, that breaking conscience with God begins not out there on the streets. It begins in here, in my heart and your heart. It's an inner problem, not an outer one. Could I remind you tonight, we're living in such a blame-shifting day today. Could I remind you tonight... That sin is not the result of a poor education. That was a very educated young man that shot up the Aurora Theater in Colorado. Med student. Sin isn't the result. Your disobedience to God. Your filthy language. Your filthy thought. That isn't the result of a poor education. Sin is not the result of your tough social surroundings. I preach everywhere from the hood to the reservation to uh, multi-million dollar uh, churches. I preach everywhere. I'm going to just tell you right now. Sin is not the result of your social surroundings. Sin is not a result of your ethnicity. I've had people say, well, I got a horrible temper because I'm Irish. No, you got a horrible temper because you got a horrible, wicked, angry heart. Amen? Sin didn't originate outside on streets. Sin originates inside of hearts it's an inner problem that shows up outside that person and boy we saw this truth kind of come through a while ago in somewhat of a humorous way when we got on the road in the year 2000 six children joined my wife and I our six children into our motorhome and about eight of us in 325 square feet little home on wheels they became quite the little singing group out there. But as we boarded the motorhome 20 years ago last month, we brought with us a mascot. It was my oldest daughter Kimberly's dog. His name was Patches. Now Patches was a 35-pound miniature Australian shepherd. All right? Kids thought he was cute. I just called him Norton. One of these days. One of these days. Pow. 
And you know, you never know how an animal's going to take to the road life. I mean, are they going to get motion sick? Are they going to, uh, you know, are they going to stay potty trained? I mean, we didn't really know, but man, old Norton took to this thing, Patches took to this thing like a duck to water. But about two months in, something happened that really caught us off guard. We were in Walmart doing the two things everybody in Walmart does, spending money and meeting people. I tell pastors, if you had not seen a church member for a while, you just go to Walmart, you'll find them. <laughs> They'll be there. Don't worry. They won't social distance in Walmart, man. They're in there and locking, loading, buying everything they can. But we in the Walmart spending money meeting people. I'd left patches untied. And uh, about 15 minutes into that deal, I told my wife, I said, man, I got to go back and grab something out of the motorhome, probably more money. And I remember as I came back to the coach, I put the key in the lock, I came up the steps, and as I came up to the top landing, Patches met me at the top of the landing acting very, very strangely. That breed, if they think they're in trouble with the alpha male, and clearly I was the alpha male, they do funny things. They turn their head to the side and they smile. And then they pressed themselves into the floor, tried to become as small as he was pressing and smiling and acting weird. I said, what is your problem? And then I took that final step and I looked and oh man, I figured in that 15 minutes, well, we'd been in the Walmart. I'd left the trash can full to overflowing. Everything you could think of, leftovers, I mean everything. He'd gotten into that thing and he had literally strewn it from one end of the motorhome to the other. I, I didn't think you could spread trash that far. I couldn't believe it. You say, well, what, what did you do? How'd you handle that? Let me tell you this. I'm not a dog whisperer. That's the first thing I'll tell you. Second of all, I'll be quite frank. I know I'm on YouTube, but when I was a kid growing up, we shot dogs for less than that. Now, they were free, so no big deal, get another one. Now you, I got coin into this thing, you know what I mean? Then I joined the Marine Corps that didn't give me fuzzy purple dinosaur moments, you know what I'm saying? Didn't want to get in touch with my feminine side. So I'll just be kind. I shredded him. And when I got done, he hid under the dinette, pressed into the corner. I'm picking all his trash up, talking to him the whole time. And his eyes are as big as saucers. He is locked on. And my parting shot to him was this, don't you ever do that again. And as I said that inflectively, he went, eh, 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 yeah, yeah, got it, got it, got it, got it, no problemo. Yeah. Said so much for dog whispering. <laughs> you know, about two days later, we're in a Walmart, spending money, going ahead and meeting people. Left Norton untied, trash can full, but he had a near-death experience. He didn't, he's not going to touch that. I told my wife, i got to go back and grab something. Back I go. Put the key in the lock. I do not even take one step up those steps. And there he is on the landing. Right there, eye level. He's smiling and he's pressing. He's smiling and he's pressing. And I remember I looked at him and I said this. You didn't. And with every little fiber of his doggy body, he seemed to say, Yes! I did it again! I know this is going to be painful, but I couldn't help myself. And I did it again. And we did this a third time until finally I said, You know, this is nuts, man. I'm going to get called into PETA. I'm going to join Michael Vick in prison. Something bad is going to happen. Or I've just got to figure this out. Here's the deal. If I was in that motorhome, dead asleep, had no idea what was going on, he would never touch the trash. Yeah. 
He wouldn't touch it because I was within his view. You with me? So he held himself back. But when I left, he knew it was wrong. I didn't know he did anything. He caught himself when I showed up. He could not help himself. What was inside came out and overruled everything else. Let me tell you something. man. We're all sitting here looking just tickety-boo. We're just looking nice. Y'all looking nice. Everybody's cleaned up a little bit, a little sprinkle a day. Got a mask or two out there. But for the most part, I can see the faces. You're looking good. And you're looking like you're just something nice. But you get alone, no one else out there. You turn into something else. You get into the trash. You go filthy. Your mouth reveals your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can blame your mommy. You can blame your daddy. You can blame society, you can blame preachers, you can blame just life in general. But you want to know why you are living a filthy life in secret? Because you've got a filthy heart. Yep. Period. Yep. Period. That's why you sin. You know, I was the all-American boy. Heading to the Naval Academy, class 85. Marine Corps, pilot, all of the above. Letter winner in school, everything. I thought I was a pretty good guy. You want to know why? Because nobody saw my private life. But one day, God reminded me, the eyes of the Lord are in every single place, beholding the evil and the good. There's no place so dark you can't hide your sin from God. There is no hole so small you can't nestle away from God. Regardless of where you go, He knows you and He knows who you are, how you think and how you act. And I want to say this. Sin is a matter of your heart. You need to meet God on this. You need to meet Him right there where you are. You say, you know, i got a heart problem, God. You say, well, I don't want to. I don't want to get that handled. One day you will meet Him. You will meet him. That's not a threat. That's a promise. Scripture makes it clear. It's appointed unto every single individual once to die. And after that, the judgment. You might as well make book on it now instead of then. Yeah. This is the time when Jesus counts. Amen. 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 Sin is a matter of your heart. Say that out loud with me. Sin is a matter of your heart. Now personalize it. Sin is a matter of my heart. Amen? That's the first great truth about your heart tonight. Here's the second one, though. And this is the good news. Salvation. Salvation is also a matter of your heart. Salvation from what? From your sin. The wages of sin is death, and the second death is the lake of fire. Salvation from your sin is a matter of... Of your heart. Look with me in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. It's further along in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. The second great truth about your heart and my heart is this. Salvation is a matter of the heart. Look at with me in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. Romans 10 and verse number 9. Listen to how your heart is involved in being saved from your sin. Romans 10 and verse number 9. The Bible says this. 
Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe where? In thine heart. Not simply your head, in your heart, the source of all your passions, the seed of all your emotions, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse, verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Wow, do you see that second great truth tonight from the Bible about your heart? It's this, salvation is a matter of the heart. You cannot get saved without your heart being involved. It's a, absolutely impossible. Now, words and their meanings have changed over the years. From a couple hundred years ago. Simple words like faith and believe. How we use them today. That isn't even how they were used when the Bible was written. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate. The word believe. Alright? And, and you say to me, well why is faith and belief so important? Because you can't become a Christian without faith and belief. You can't have your sins forgiven without faith and belief. Listen to John 3.16. You'll, you'll complete this for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? But what kind of belief? Not all belief in Jesus makes you a Christian. Not all belief in Jesus Christ washes your sin record away. Not all belief in Jesus puts you in heaven when you die. Because James 2.19 says the devils believe also, yet tremble. The devil's not going to heaven, but he believes in Jesus. How about faith? Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through what? Say that again. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what kind of faith? Not all faith makes you a Christian. Not all faith in Jesus goes ahead and guarantees you heaven when you die. Young people, catch this. This is a big point. There's a thing called historical faith. What is that? That's this right here. How many of you believe Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States? Raise your hand. All right. Who's met him? Besides Brother Keck. Who's met him? Sorry, brother. We old guys have to stay together, all right? Amen. That's historical faith. That believes that Ab you believe Abraham Lincoln existed. He was an actual president. So that's just historical faith. Do you know historical faith in Jesus does not make you a Christian? Historical faith in the fact that he lived and died and doesn't make you a Christian. No, no, listen to the faith that saves. Are you ready? I wrote it in your notes. Here is the faith that births you again into Christianity. This is what makes you a Christian. This is what forgives your sin. It's a mental ascent of the mind to the truths of the gospel. You have to believe that a man named Jesus existed. You have to believe the record that he came and died for sinners, which is you. It's a mental ascent of the mind to the truths of the gospel accompanied with a yielding of the will and affections. That's your heart. And then a humble reliance like boarding a ship on Christ alone for salvation. I'm going to say it again. It's a mental ascent of the mind to the truths of the gospel accompanied with a yielding of the will and affections. That's the dropping of the reins. 
and then stepping across in a humble reliance on Christ alone for salvation. That is saving evangelical justifying faith. It's a faith that doesn't just come from here. It's a faith that comes from here. Well, we saw this come through. A number of years ago, our oldest daughter, Kimberly, was on staff at a church in Virginia, fourth grade teacher. And she would call us every week and keep us updated. And one day she called on a Thursday, all excited. She said, Dad, pray for me. I said, what's up? She says, I've been given a very unique assignment. I have a 35-year-old girl, young lady, not married yet. She was raised in a Christian home. And I've been given the task to hold Thursday night Bible studies with her after school's out and I do my piano lessons with some of my students. And I said, well, how do you want us to pray? She said, that's the funny thing, Dad. She knows the Bible as well as I do. Maybe even better. She has all the Bible answers, but there's nothing about her life and how she lives that says she belongs to Jesus. Nothing. So pray for me, I'd have wisdom. And Kimberly's just a sweetie. Just a sweetie. She just cared about this young person. Just really wanted to be a help. And so every Thursday she'd update us as we went. One Thursday she called all excited. She said, oh dad, do you remember that young lady you've been praying for? I said, yep. She said, well my singles department director and his wife held the Bible study tonight. And here they are, they're teaching the study. He's teaching the study. And he's going through salvation. And all of a sudden she just looks at him. She slams the pen down. She says, now wait a minute. I believe everything you believe. And she said, Dad, she began to do the checklist. She began to go, Jesus was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, buried, rose again. I believe everything you believe. What makes what you believe different than what I believe? She said, Dad, you should have heard his answer. He perked up, got a smile, and he said, What makes what I believe different than what you believe? Oh, he said, That's easy. What I believe changed my life you know what he was saying I didn't believe all of that here I believed in Jesus here Lester Roloff first evangelist ever met after I got saved couldn't sing worth a lick but boy could he preach brother Lester said this you're saved by faith alone but the faith that saves is not alone. It's living, not dead. It's evidenced by a changed life. You may not be sinless, but you will sin less. Because you belong to a holy God, not an unholy God. See, Jesus died. That's a historical fact. Even Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote about this one called Jesus at that time. Jesus died for sin. Well, that's a theological truth that some of our Bible colleges still teach today. But Jesus died for my sin and beckons me to turn from it and go ahead and drop the reins of my heart and grab him as my only hope for heaven. That is a life-changing faith. And that's what happened to me as an 18-year-old Marine. It's not a bunch of boxes to get checked intellectually. It's a mental ascent of the mind accompanied 
with a yielding of your will and affections. That's repentance. And then a humble reliance on Christ alone for salvation. Sin is a matter of your heart tonight. Salvation is a matter of your heart. You know what my greatest fear for some of our young people is? Those raised in church, they have all the answers to the test, but they've never seen themselves as a sinner that's failed. That's my fear. I know that. I did that. Dink, 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 dink. That's my fear. Sin is a matter of your heart tonight. That's why you do dirty things. That's why you think dirty thoughts. That's why you speak angry words. That's why you get bitter at others. It's all a heart deal. It's not the stuff around you. It's something in you. But then salvation's a matter of your heart. You've got to make book on this. You've got to say, God, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your court. God, here, I'm giving you my heart. I want you to do with my heart what I can never do. Purify it, cleanse it, save it. That's what I want. But then thirdly, write this one down. I just close with this briefly. Just to kind of make you think a little bit. The third thing about your heart you need to recognize is that your future success, your future success, young people, that's what we want. We want to be successful in the future. Your future success is a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your heart. Go to Proverbs 4. Look here as we wind these thoughts down tonight. In Proverbs chapter 4, the Psalms is the very middle of your Bible. If you open your Bible right to the middle, that's the book of Psalms. And right after that is the book of Proverbs. Psalms, then Proverbs. Look at what's said in Proverbs 4 and verse number 23. In Proverbs 4 and verse 23, listen to the importance of your heart here. The seed of all your passions. The source of all your desires. It says in Proverbs 4.23, he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. What is the picture there? Guard it. Don't let it just go to any internet site it wants to see. Don't let it just traipse through whatever's out there the world offers. Lock it down. Keep it. Guard it. With all diligence. With great effort. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of that heart are all the issues of your life. Everything will be traced back to your heart. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate. <clears throat> Point B, just if you have the notes. You are what your heart is tonight. That's the real you. Not the clothes you wear. Not the haircut you're sporting. No, no, no. That's not you. The real you is tucked down inside that God sees called your heart. It's the seat of your passions. It's your thought life. That's you. You are who your heart is. I, I wrote it this way. You are becoming what your heart is. In time, what's inside of you will show up outside. You become what's there, whether anybody realizes it or not. Let me illustrate. Go out into Seymour tonight. Go out into the community. Go into Green Bay. I think most of y'all came within maybe a half hour radius or whatever of here. 
And I will guarantee you, if there's not one of these kind of young people, there's probably hundreds of them. They're surrounded by everything that's wrong. They're surrounded by everything that's wrong. They got a daddy who maybe's a drunk, who is, there's filthy language all through their house. There's no spiritual music. There's no Bible reading. There's no prayer time. They're surrounded by everything that's wrong. They're just surrounded by tough stuff, all right? Come on, I meet them all the time. I could ask some of you your BC days before you got saved. We got some ex-drunks in here. Y'all, we got some ex-druggies in here. I'm telling you, I meet them all the time. And they're surrounded by everything that's wrong. It's just caustic. It's acidic. But after all the fussing and the noise and the yelling and the anger simmers down, the house finally goes quiet. That kid, though surrounded by everything that's wrong inside, there's this little heart that's staring at the stars and saying something like this. Man, God, I don't know who you are, but there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. this. This can't be all there is. And though they're surrounded by everything wrong, they're crying out to this invisible God. They just know they're, they were put here for purpose. They're crying out to this divine creator. They don't even know him. They're begging him somehow, some way to manifest himself. But you know what else outside of the walls? And maybe some, some of you here tonight. You've been raised and surrounded by almost everything that's right. You've got a mommy that prays. You've got a family that's gone to church. You've gone to teen camps. You've been given the word of God. You get to hear hymns and songs that speak about Jesus. He's not a cuss word in your house. He's someone that's revered. You've been surrounded by a lot of stuff that's good. But inside of you is a heart that says one day. When I'm out of this joint, I'm going to do what I really want to do. You know what's going to happen? Given time, you will trade places with them. God will hear that cry in their heart. As they respond to creation, they know this wasn't accident and chance. That creation's real. They'll, God will manifest himself to them. They'll get saved and come into a place like this. And yeah. you will go out and take their place. You say, how could two people raised opposite trade places? It's simple. Your future success and who you're ultimately going to be does not depend on what's outside of you. Yeah. It depends on what's inside of you. Amen. Your future success is a matter of your heart. Go to Psalm 139. We'll close with this. Psalm 139. You know, of all the things that God wants from you, He wants you to drop the reins and give Him your heart tonight. Look at what the psalmist said. He came to God. He prayed a prayer. And he asked the Lord to do this. And this is what we'll close with tonight. Psalm 139, verse 23. This is the prayer God always answers. If you've never prayed this prayer, this ought to be your prayer tonight. Psalm 139, verse 23. Look at, how, look at what the psalmist asked for. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And then, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. First yes. Samuel, we read... But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not in his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looketh on the heart. If it's true tonight that God sees your heart, God knows your heart even better than you do, what does he see and what does he know about you? And do you really even care what's inside? He says, my son, give me thine heart. I watch people give God a little money. Y'all came in tonight, gave him a little time. Don't know what you could have done, where you could have been, but you gave him a little time tonight, and I appreciate that. I've seen people give God a little talent, a little time, a little money. But you know, if you really want God to work for you, you're going to have to give him what he really wants. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Drop the reins. Step across and give him your heart. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God wants your heart. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.